is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Good morning. It's great to see you. Welcome to Jubilee. Uh, my name is Graham. I lead the team that uh, leads Jubilee Church. It's great to have you with us this morning. Uh, particularly if you're visiting us, uh, really good to, to have you here. Thank you for being with us. Just to uh, to add to what Jenny was saying about uh, looking to uh, recognise new elders in Jubilee, we had a family meeting uh, a week or so ago. I think it was time to compress this. Recently, we had a family meeting. And uh, we, we said in, in that context that... Uh, uh, as an eldership team, uh, we felt it was right to, to grow our, our eldership team, looking for God to add to that and looking to see who uh, God uh, is working on and the Holy Spirit is appointing as elders. And uh, we proposed Tim and Adam and Rupert. And um, <clears throat> as Jenny was saying, Jeremy and Anna can be with us at the end of the month and looking forward to uh, We Trust recognising uh, them as elders in Jubilee. So we'd love you to join us on that evening. Uh, please do uh, come along, whether you're a member of Jubilee or not, you're very welcome on that uh, Wednesday night. Uh, as uh, Jenny was saying, it's at the Sunny Hill Centre once again. So looking forward to, uh, to that evening very much. Would you like to see some photos? I thought we'd show some photos from Smile yesterday. So uh, we had Smile yesterday. Uh, which is our respite facility for children with additional needs. And uh, we've got a fantastic team of, uh, of volunteers that, that lead that and make it happen. And yesterday, uh, Jonathan did an activity of making bird boxes with the kids. So we had a whole load of, uh, of children with additional needs and a whole load of power tools. Uh, but it was all good. It was all good. <laughs> there, were, there were no no thinkers were, were lost in the exercise, and uh, they just had a great morning. I mean, it was so good to see some of the children that we work with, um, who might sometimes struggle to engage in different activities. But they were there for you know good half an hour, forty five minutes, sawing away and cutting and drilling and, and building. I'm not sure we can see the finished product or not. You can certainly see the uh, the products in uh, in kit form there. So uh, for those of you who are involved in SMILE, uh, I just want to thank you for all that you do. It's a great ministry of church. Well done, all of you. Sarah and uh, Joe and Lucy uh, and Rachel, to, uh, uh, who's not part of Jubilee, but a friend of ours, do a great job in leading uh, that. And I know a number of you volunteer at that. So thank you so much for all that you do, and I'm sure we can hear some more news on other occasions as well, but as I was yesterday, I thought you'd like to see some photos hot off the press, which is really a really good morning. Last Sunday, uh, I was in Stafford, uh, preaching at uh, the Christ Central Church in Stafford, and meeting with their eldership team in the afternoon, had a good Sunday uh, over there, it was really good to be with them. Next Sunday, uh, I'm in Burton, so not here, but with our church plant in Burton that we sent off just a few weeks ago. 
Uh, so it's like lots is happening, uh, not just here in Derby, but in the region that we're part of, uh, churches that we're serving uh, and working with around this part of the world. It's good to be in family together, isn't it? So it isn't just us here, but we're part of something much bigger that God is doing. And uh, as we were saying earlier, devoted gathers those churches together in the summer, which is great. I'm meeting some of the, uh, the team uh, just this week that works on a number of churches, uh, primarily in the UK and Europe. And then the week after, we'll be with uh, some of the guys that work in our churches internationally. Uh, so it's good to be able to gather with them as well and see what God is doing right around the globe. And uh, we'll let you know some stories from that, I trust, in the next few weeks. Okay, so as Tim said, we start a new series this morning. Last, uh, last year, we worked our way through uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians. There's lots to get our teeth into there, some challenging passages that uh, we looked at together, but uh, really good to spend time in those letters. We thought we'd have a change of pace and style for a few weeks. And uh, we're looking at a short Old Testament book. And this will take us roughly up to Easter. And then after Easter, we'll start another series together. Now, I think, or well, I'm told that having a varied diet is important. So apparently it's not good just to eat steak all the time. Who knew? I thought it was fine. But apparently a varied diet is a good thing. And uh, just as a varied diet in what we eat is good for our bodies, actually a varied diet in terms of look, what we look at uh, in God's word is good for our souls. And so we're going to spend a few weeks in the book of Ruth. Uh, you might like to be uh, finding it if you've got your Bible with you. And uh, we're told right at the beginning of the book of Ruth that it's set in the time of the judges. This is not the best time for the people of God. It's not the best time in their history. There's moral and religious decline in a nation. The NIV Study Bible puts it like this, which I love. This is great. So now the NIV Study Bible comments. It says, the book of Ruth, set in the dark and bloody times of the judges. You can see, you know, I can't really do a really deep voice, but it's that film intro, isn't it? You know, you can hear, you can sort of hear the music in the background. The lights go low, and we get to the book of Ruth, set in the dark and bloody times of the judges. <laughs> that's my best impression of a, a, a film intro. But that's what it is. And rather than looking at the nation as a whole, what the book of Ruth does primarily is looking at one family. It's like we've got a window into the life of one family in God's people at that time. And it follows this family through some the ups and downs of life. And all of us have ups and downs in life. But this family have some particularly challenging circumstances that they face. And that's what we're going to pick up in Ruth chapter 1 this morning. So let's pray and then we'll read God's word together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your presence, your love. Thank you that you've been speaking to us already this morning. And now we pray as we open up your word together, look at the book of Ruth, that 
you would speak to us today and over subsequent weeks that, Lord, you would apply the truth of your word to our lives. As we look at this one family, as we get a window into their lives of what was going on, we pray, God, that you would speak to us by your spirit. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Ruth chapter 1, if you found it now or scrolled or to it or opened it, we'll read uh, Ruth chapter 1 together, starting unsurprisingly in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Achilion. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem, Judea, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, 
the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. In a moment, we'll look together at some of the decisions that were made and that these people made. But before that, I want us to jump into the second half of the chapter, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But in the second half of the chapter, we, we see what happens when Naomi decides to go home. And her two daughters-in-law initially decide to go with her. And Naomi tries to persuade them otherwise. That's what we've just read here. That she tries to persuade them to stay. Remember, they're from Moab initially. So she's saying, you're to stay in your country. If they're talking about leaving and going back to Naomi's home country. But after some discussion, Naomi persuades one of them to stay. But Ruth decides to go with her. And we get this wonderful declaration, don't we, from Ruth in, in verse 16. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. It's a wonderful promise she makes, isn't it? She's pretty convinced that she's not going to stay in Moab. She wants to go uh, back with Naomi to her homeland, to where she is from. And it's a big decision she makes, isn't it? To leave her own country and to go uh, with Naomi back to hers. It's an amazing promise. It's, there's a commitment there, isn't there? There's a promise there. There's faithfulness there. And so this got me thinking about staying committed and paying the price. Staying committed and paying the price. And we often talk about the subject of commitment. And there's such faithfulness when it comes to the subject of marriage. That's good. You, you want that in a marriage, don't you? You want commitment and faithfulness in a marriage. You want that. But this is a marriage here. This is to her mother-in-law. It's to her mother-in-law that she says, you know, wherever you go, I'll go. And your God will be, will be my God. Your people, my people. Her commitment is to her mother-in-law. Let me ask you a question. Who has ever said that sort of thing to their mother-in-law? Any hands going up there? Just for the record, in case it's listened to, I love my mother-in-law. She is a wonderful person. But I haven't said this to her. And I doubt if any of you have said that to yours either, if you have one. But the point I want to make is this. God sometimes calls us to make a commitment to and a promise to other people. That may be for you a family member. It may be your husband or wife. Maybe another member of your family. It may be a friend. May actually be in a church context a leader that God calls you to follow. But to be clear, I'm not talking about blind obedience here. What I'm talking about is a joining of hearts where you get a sense that God is doing something and He calls you to be faithful to a particular person and give them a certain commitment. 
That's what's going on here. That's what Ruth is doing. That's what she's saying to Naomi. But you know what? There's a price to pay, isn't there? There's a price to pay here for Ruth. She's going to be leaving the place that she knows. The place that she has always called home. The place where she's grown up. The place where her family is. Where her friends are. It's her homeland. Her people. And she's making a decision here to leave him. And to go with Naomi. You see, there's a cost to her dedication. There is a cost to her faithfulness. And the reality is, friends, that where there's a call, there's a cost. Where there's a call, there's a cost. And so the question for us this morning is, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? Ruth felt called to follow her mother-in-law, to be committed to her. But there's a cost in leaving her homeland, leaving her people. She paid the price. Where there's a call, there's a cost. I found this when I left the place that I grew up, where my family were and still are. And God spoke to me about moving to Derby. I'd never been here. I didn't know where it was. I knew nothing about it. Don't think I knew hardly any of you. Only one exception. But God spoke. There was a call. But when there's a call, there's a cost. A price to pay. I wasn't going to be so close to family anymore. I wasn't around the friends that I'd grown up with. But listen, here's the secret. If God calls you, the cost is worth it. Amen? If God calls you, the cost is worth it. It really is. I found that in my journey. And I guess for many of you, you've found that as well. And if you haven't yet, I want to give you some good news. Because where God calls, it's worth it. Where there's a call, there's a cost. But when God calls you, it is so worth it to be obedient to him. And we could look through scripture, couldn't we, and see countless examples of this. Many of us from our own lives could testify to, to God's grace being sufficient and it being worth it in following him. That's certainly been my story, it's been our story, it hasn't always been easy, there have been ups and downs along the road. But you know what? When God calls, it's worth it. Because he's at work, and he's doing something. And that's what we see in scripture as you look back on countless examples of our biblical heroes. I guess the ultimate one is Jesus himself. There was a call on him. There was a cost, there was a price to pay. For him, it was death on the cross. But what a price. What a glorious result. Because following his death came his resurrection. Making it possible for you and I to have a relationship with the living God. So, so worth it. So, so worth it. 
Now, for Ruth and for Jesus, we can look in and we can look at Scripture, we can look back and we can see the results. We can see what happened. We can see how the story panned out. The reality is that for some of you, you may never know fully. You may not see how the story ends. You may not see all that God does in and through you and as a result of the decisions that you make. Maybe for you, your reward won't be an earthly one, but will be a heavenly one. Maybe for you, it will be in glory where Jesus says, well done, you are faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You paid the price. You counted the cost. You were obedient. Well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. Hey, that sounds like it's worth it to hear those words, doesn't it? You know what? Hearing those words will make it all worthwhile. The pain, the heartache, the questions, it will all become worthwhile in that moment when you hear those words. So I want to encourage you, friends, live for that day. Live in an eternal perspective. Live for that day when Jesus says to you, well done, my daughter. Well done, my son. You are obedient. You are faithful. You paid the price. You counted the cost, but you hung in there. And you followed. Well done. Live for that day. Live for an eternal perspective. Live for Jesus saying those words to you. Live with that in mind. You know, if things work out in the meantime, that's great. It's like a bonus, isn't it? An unexpected bonus you didn't get. But live for this that day. Live with an eternal perspective. But before you and I get to that day, that day when we see the Lord face to face, we've got some decisions to make in our lives, haven't we? All of us have decisions to make on almost a daily basis. Almost it seems minute by minute there are decisions that are before us. Some of them don't have a great deal of eternal consequence. Some of them have massive eternal consequence. But all of us are constantly faced by decisions, aren't we? And for me, chapter one in Ruth here feels like it's a chapter of decisions that are made. We've got to start with a decision to move to Moab. Not great. We've got a decision to move back home. Much better. We'll come back to those in a second. But I wonder, how do you make decisions? How for you do you process things? How do you make decisions in a godly way? So to start with, we're told about a famine in the land. Remember, this is the days when the judges ruled. There's this man, Elimelech, from Bethlehem in Judah. And he makes a decision. Because of a famine in the land, he makes a decision to move. To move to Moab. Now you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Actually, it's a huge deal. Commentators believe that this famine was fairly localised in its effects. And moving just 50 miles or so southeast took them outside the famine area. 
But you need to understand, this was no ordinary move. This was no straightforward relocation. Moab was a country where the people did not worship Yahweh, did not worship God. Moreover, they worshipped a God to whom they made human sacrifices. This was not a great place to go. This was a totally different environment. And why go there? Why go to such a place? Of all the places they could have moved to, why there? Why Moab? And it doesn't seem that the move did them any favours, did it? As a family, things don't work out well. Elimelech dies, and then both of his sons die as well. Moving might have kept them from the famine, but it certainly didn't keep them from death. So it got me thinking as I was reading this week. How do you make decisions? How do you make decisions? What were the principles, I wondered, behind Elimelech's decision? And what are your guiding principles? To me, as I read this, it looks like Elimelech made a short-term decision. Made a short-term decision. Did he move because he had lost faith or trust in God? Had he lost belief that God could come through for him? That he was going to be faithful to him? Why move to such religiously hostile land? Now, this wasn't a gospel kingdom advancing move. This is a move to get some food, but a move, he thought, to keep his family alive. It seems, as we read it, that his compatriots fared better than him. It seems that his wider family survived the famine, because we bump into them later in the book. Maybe he didn't have to go. Maybe there was another way. So what about you? How do you make decisions? Where to live? Who to marry? What to study? Where to work? And so the list goes on. One of the guiding principles surely has to be this. Don't make short-term decisions that have long-term implications on your walk with God. Don't make short-term decisions that have long-term implications with your walk with God. Don't make any decision, in fact, that compromises your walk with God. Going to Moab might have seemed like a good idea. They had food there. But from the writer's perspective, and now looking in, this is a short-term decision that ended up having fatal consequences. Don't make short-term decisions that have long-term implications on your walk with God. I encourage us, friends, let's make decisions that honour God. Let's make decisions where he is the most important thing. Let's make decisions that honour him in every area of our lives. Make decisions in community. Get input from trusted, godly friends, people who know you, who love you, who want the best for you. Take time to hear God. Pray and fast. Ask God to speak to you. I remember some years ago, 
I might have told you this story before. Some years ago, before Sarah and I were married, we were, we were going out, and um, I was praying and asking God, you know, should we get married? That's what I, what I really wanted. But I wanted to make sure that it was, it was the right thing before God. So I thought, well, let's, let's pray and fast. That seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Such a big decision. So I decided to pray and fast. And uh, at the same time, I decided to go to, I think it was Castleton Water, and go for a long bike ride. Well, I discovered that fasting and long bike rides for people like me who don't do them very often are not a good combination. You know, I was nearly dead by the time I got around the end of it. I remember getting home and thinking, I feel so ill. You know, this hasn't worked out how I hoped. I wanted to hear God and I'm just about surviving and not collapsed in a pile on the floor. And uh, I thought, I'd eat and uh, get with it once again. Let me give you some advice. Fasting's great. Long distance cycling's great. But I'm not sure the two go together. But for me, I wanted to hear God. I wanted to make sure I was making a decision that honoured him. That was right before him. Maybe you've been in that situation as well. And it's in those moments you'll listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Listen to what God's saying. Remember, don't make short-term decisions that have long-term implications on your walk with God. But that's not the only decision we read of in Ruth chapter 1. We read of a second decision that Naomi makes. And this is a good one. Because she decides to go back home. She decides to return to her wider family, her people, the worshipping community of God. She decides to go back. And friends, we've got a lesson to learn here as well. And it's this. No matter how far you've travelled in the wrong direction, you can always turn around and come home. No matter how far you've got away from God, you can always turn around and return. And that's just what Naomi is doing here. It's not just going back to Judah. It's not just a physical relocation. It's not just a move back. It's going back to the people of God. It's returning to the community of God. No matter how far you've walked away, you can always turn around and come on home. There's always grace. You can always come home. And in deciding to return, we see, well, we begin to see the hand of God at work once again in her life. Now, I know God's been at work before that, but it's at this time we begin to see what God is doing and see how he is at work. God's been at work behind the scenes. He's been in the background, preparing the ground, stirring hearts, getting things ready. Now the curtain is about to be lifted. We're going to get to see what he's doing. But listen, if God can do that for Naomi, doesn't that give you confidence he can do it for you? If he can do it for her, he can do it for you. 
So this morning, if you're far from God, if you've been walking in the wrong direction, then the Father's invitation to you is to come on home, to come on back, to turn round, to come on home. And the challenge for all of us is this. Let's be on the lookout for those who are coming home. Let's have eyes open to see those who are beginning to make steps, even very small baby steps. Back home. Or maybe for them it's the first time in turning around from a life that's far from God and making steps towards responding to his invitation. Let's be building a community of people full of love and grace that is on the lookout for people coming home. Don't you want Jubilee to be a place like that? That's what we want, isn't it? As we look around this morning, we think we want Jubilee to be a place of love and grace and acceptance where we can help people on their journey with God. Have arms open wide saying, let's walk this together. Welcome home. Welcome back. Welcome for the first time, maybe. The challenge is for all of us to make Jubilee a place of restoration <coughs> and grace and love. Where those who for the first time maybe are taking small steps towards responding to God's invitation or maybe having walked away and deciding to come back home. That's a sort of church on the build, isn't it? Now we've sent a whole bunch of people down the road to Burton just a few weeks ago. That's exactly the sort of church you want to plant in Burton as well. Where we have a community of people full of love and grace who can help people on that journey, whether it's in Burton or in Derby or indeed other places that we're beginning to touch together. Let me play you a video that perhaps illustrates this point better than I can talk it. The situation that Naomi found herself in was terribly sad. She lost her husband, lost her two sons, no wonder she wanted to be called Mara, verse 20, which means bitter, rather than Naomi, which means pleasant, lovely, and delightful. Well, here's the thing. Her decision to return home, to go back, changed everything for her and for Ruth. One decision. That's all it took. See, one decision can change your destiny. One decision can change your future. One decision can, this morning even, to receive God's love, his grace and follow him, could change everything for you. One decision is all it takes. And I feel this morning that there's some decisions 
to be made. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond. Maybe for you, it's, it's really clear. You've been, as it were, living in the wrong place. I don't necessarily mean physically, that's where your house is. But as in terms of spiritually, what's going on in your life, what you're living for, what you're going for, it's like you know you've been in the wrong place. Or maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you've been trying to get away from him. This morning, God's calling you to come on home, be it for the first time or to come back. If that's the first time you've even thought about making that decision, we'd love to pray with you, love to explain more to you. Maybe for you, that's a decision that you need to make this morning. And maybe for some of us here, it isn't such a big decision of you being in the wrong place, but rather there's been some meandering around. There's been parts of your life that are going great with the Lord and he's totally uh, the Lord of that part of your life and you're following him and faithful to him in that. But maybe there's some other parts of your life where it's like there's a no entry sign to him where you haven't really allowed him in. There's some meandering away from him. Not outright rebellion of your whole life, but you know that you're not quite fully committed to him. You know that there are some areas that you need to let God in on. Maybe that's you this morning. So friends, I want to invite you to make some decisions this morning. Make a decision to follow God wholeheartedly. (coughs) To follow him completely. To be totally faithful to him. Just as Ruth said to her mother-in-law that she wasn't going to leave her no matter what. She was going to be faithful to her. I just feel that the Lord is calling us afresh this morning to be faithful to him and to come on home. So can we stand together? I'd like us to to pray. In a moment I'm going to pray, but before we do that, if you can maybe just stand with your eyes closed for a moment, I'm going to ask you in a second to Raise your hand if you feel you need to respond to God this morning. And it may be for the first time to put your trust in him. It may be that you know you've been running away from him and you want to come on home to him. Or it may be that there's there's parts of your life that you know are not fully surrendered to him. And that he's calling you to surrender to him that part of your life this morning. So just as we stand together, and eyes are closed. If that's you, if you just raise your hand, and I'd love to pray for you this morning. You know that maybe there are parts of your life that aren't fully surrendered to him, or maybe you've just been running away, or maybe it's for the first time you want to put your trust in him. Thank you. Nobody else before I pray. Let's pray together. 
Father, thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy, of forgiveness. And Lord, I thank you that you call, that you call home those who have been running in the wrong direction. Lord, thank you that you call to follow you, all of us. And Father, thank you this, this morning that you are at work in lives right here, right now. And Father, for those who have raised their hand this morning, whatever their circumstance, wherever they are in their journey with you, I pray that today would be a day of grace, that today would be a day of encounter with you, that Father, as they respond to you, Lord Jesus, that God, they would hear your voice of love and grace and acceptance. And Father, I pray that Decisions made today will be carried through to tomorrow and the day after and so on and so on. And that, God, your grace would be completely sufficient. It would be all that they need. It would be everything that they require. And, Father, I pray for us that we as a church would be a community of grace that encourages those decisions to follow you, that encourages the turnaround to come on home as we might be there with arms open wide. So, Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your love and your goodness. We pray, Lord, that you would continue with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you'd like to receive prayer before you go, then there'll be a few of us around at the front love to pray with you. Maybe if you responded in that prayer and put your hand up, we'd love to pray with you particularly. Or even if you didn't, we can, we can certainly still pray for you. There'll be a few people around the front to do that. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.